Well, I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to uh, Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. Yes, that is right. If you're keeping track, going through the Sermon on the Mount, we've made it through chapter 5. We made it through chapter 6. We're on a home stretch, people. The final third, chapter 7, coming up here. We're starting it today. And as you turn there, our passage this week in the Sermon on the Mount uh, addresses, uh, all of us in a sense, it addresses both those who are judgmental, And those who lack judgment. Uh, Some of us, let's be honest, uh, struggle to speak. uh, Struggle to speak or even to make uh, moral judgments. Even when we know what God's word teaches about certain matters. And we're very hesitant to be labeled or perceived in any way judgmental or self-righteous or intolerant. We, We tend to go along to get along. While those around us may be walking down a pathway that is out of step with God's commands and therefore ultimately out of step with what's good for them. So there's those of us on that side of the equation. There's others of us that have sort of the opposite problem, right? Uh, We not only know what God's word teaches, but uh, we are really zealous about making sure other people know it as well and even correcting them when they're out of step. Uh, This, unfortunately, we frequently pursue in a sort of self-righteous way, a way that's less than helpful, an attitude sometimes of spiritual superiority related to those around us and sort of self-proclaimed moral perfection that reveals oftentimes that we haven't really searched our own hearts all that deeply or really encountered the holiness and the justice of God all that deeply. Either approach, interestingly enough, as we're going to see in our verses today, uh, can be unloving, unloving because we either fail to speak the truth where it's needed or we pridefully condemn others with the truth. We hold back what might be good to share or we beat people up with what we think needs to be shared. In either case, really, when you think about it, the great danger is that we're ending up playing God, right? We determine that, hey, what he said, I don't really need to pass along or, wow, I'm the one that figures out where other people really are spiritually. I'm the ultimate judge. Now, Jesus knows that this uh, affects and reflex uh, our relationship with God and shapes our relationships with others. So he cares enough to speak to us about it. Would you stand with me as I read aloud and you read along silently? Matthew Chapter 7, verses 1 to 6. Jesus says, Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment that you pronounce, you'll be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye. Then you will see clearly to remove the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give the dogs what is holy. Do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. You may be seated. And as you do, let's pray again. Father, we are really grateful for your word and the way that it teaches us and directs us. So we want to. 
walk more in step with you. We want to reflect the love and the work of Christ that's that's been poured out in our lives. So we pray that you see us help us to see today how to walk in graciousness and in righteousness with those around us, that we be humbled in our attempts to correct others. We pray this in Jesus name. Amen. Well, you may have heard the story before about the two brothers who lived in a particular small town. They were well along in years and they were both known throughout the community for their ruthless treatment of their employees in each of their businesses, for their cutthroat business practices, for their generally rude demeanor and for their troublesome family lives. And one day. One of the brothers, Fred, passed away and his brother, Joe, began to look for someone to officiate the funeral service. Uh, But he insisted that whoever did the service would proclaim that his brother, Fred, was a saint. Well, the town got kind of interested in this whole drama and they wanted to see was the Baptist pastor going to step up to the plate. Would the Lutheran reverend handle it? Would the Catholic priest take it on? All of them perhaps wisely declined. But that Presbyterian pastor, he said, sure, I'll handle that service. The whole community was gathered there, not so much to pay respects to Fred, but just to see how this was going to play out. And the Presbyterian pastor just began to rip into the life of Fred. Declaring all of the public sins that he had committed and all of the problems with him as an individual, all the ways that he was despicable. But then, just as his brother Joe was about to come up and grab back the pulpit from that pastor, the pastor declared, but compared to his brother Joe, he was a saint. A lot of things are about comparison, aren't they? You can almost always find somebody that's worse than you, at least in some category. If we're honest enough to look at it, we probably can find a lot of people that are better than us in a lot of categories. I know that's true for me. As we look at our verses today and Jesus speaks to us about sort of how we view others around us. How we view our status versus their status and how we can actually be helpful in a humble and loving way to one another. He encourages us to take a look at how we view ourselves. The main idea, if you want to kind of follow along in your worship guide, is found in the the sermon notes section towards the back. And, and, And I think it's just this. And this is taking into account the larger scope of the book of Matthew and really of the scriptures. But we we know that Jesus Judges with both grace and righteousness. He brings both of those things. He figures out somehow how to hold those two things together. So we we know it can't be easy, but we know it can be done. That that's the way Christ comes. He doesn't sacrifice one for the other. Both come together with him. And, and, And so the specific message he's trying to give us here is that in our interactions with each other, We ought to be people who are constantly learning to take that log out of our own eye before we would ever consider taking the speck out of our brothers. You know, you know, it's interesting in every culture and in every place, 
these verses certainly apply. The things of the scriptures are universal. You know, everybody deals with them, but each culture deals with them in a little different way. And as I thought about how we would apply this to ourselves, one of the challenges we face is that we we have a sort of schizophrenic culture here in, in the South, I think, in that we have roots that go back to sort of fundamentalism. And there's not that's not all bad. A lot of that is commitment to the scriptures and commitment to uh, standing against wandering away from the scriptures. But some of that, at least, can also develop a posture that we've got it right and everybody else has got it wrong. A judgmental posture. So we've got that sort of thing in our DNA a little bit. On the other side, we have a, a larger cultural wave that's that's happening now and in the last number of decades uh, of, of sort of relativism, of tolerance that says that everything's uh, OK and we shouldn't ever speak into anybody's life around us because that would be overstepping your bounds and things are personal. Right. Those are my personal choices and ideas. Jesus is reminding us that as we come and. Surrender our lives to him. We really give up both of those perspectives. We give up the right to, to think that we can somehow judge others in self-righteousness. And we also give up the idea that we can just say truth and righteousness doesn't matter or isn't important. Take a look with me at verses one and two for the first part of this. And it's where Jesus really says pretty directly, he says, hey, judge not that you be not judged. All right. And then he goes, I says for the judgment you pronounce will be you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it'll be measured to you. What's Jesus's message there? Well, he he can't be saying a couple of things. He he can't be saying that we just eliminate any sort of uh, courts or legal process. Uh, Surely, as we've seen in other weeks, looking through the scriptures, God laid some of that structure out for his uh, people And we see in Romans 13 that those government structures are, are not a bad thing. They're a, a good thing. So you can't seem to really be saying that entirely. Uh, you know, nor can he be saying to remove any assessment of those around us. So we've got to interpret what he means. Because if you look down at verse 6, and we're not going to have a lot of time to look at this one. I'll let you ponder the, the meanings of this pigs and dogs and pearls and so forth. But verse 6, he says, don't give dogs what's holy don't throw your pearls before pigs later on in verse 15 he says beware of false prophets go all through the scriptures that it assumes that you're making some kind of judgment right how do you know who is the dog how do you know who is the pig how do you discern a false prophet unless you're making some kind of judgment about what's going on around you about the decisions that are being made and the things that are being taught so forth What does it mean then? I think what Jesus is getting at is our tendency, and I I like the way John Stott put it, our tendency to be, quote, fault finders, he said, who are negative and destructive towards other people and actually enjoy actively seeking out their failings. This type of person, I like what Stott says, Quote, puts the worst possible constructions on others' motives and is ungenerous in their mistakes. I want to ask for a show of hands of how many of us have ever fallen into that trap. Clayton and I at least are ready to show ours, right? Okay, some of you are volunteering with conviction. I guess we got some conviction going on here. This is an attitude that we often Show And and I mentioned earlier that the the scary thing is about it is not just how it kind of dismisses 
what Jesus says to us about our sinfulness and brokenness and need for his mercy and that we ought to kind of respond to that. Or that it's just kind of disrespectful to everybody around us to view others that way. The scariest thing probably is that we're taking on, trying to take on the role of God as judge. To me, I I call this the, if we find ourselves slipping into this mode of judgmentalism, I call it the Jerry Springer effect. Okay, Jerry Springer is probably kind of passe TV these days. And I hate to confess that I won't. I definitely won't ask for a show of hands of who's watched the Jerry Springer show. But maybe you've in passing clicked by it. And if you've gotten sucked in a time or two like me, something happens to your soul while you're watching Jerry Springer. A lot of different things, to be honest with you. But as they're usually mapping out which boyfriend cheated on which wife and how many people are their sisters and so forth. You know, while they're mapping that out, what's happening? You're watching it and it's amusing, but but part of the amusement, part of the enjoyment is that we can dismiss the stuff that's wrong with us in our life and look at these people and say, at least I'm not as bad as these losers. Right. Isn't that what's going on? That's a spiritual thing. Uh, One one, uh, person that I used to uh, work with, he described it as uh, as standing on other people's necks. I was talking to life group about this and the Old Testament times they'd conquer an enemy and, and to demonstrate their superiority over them. They would have them go all, you know, you have to lay down on the ground and stand on someone's neck. You know what that does for you? It makes you feel real powerful, even though you're only about four inches higher than what you were before. Right. You have to take somebody all the way to the ground and all it really gets you is about four inches more. And of course, Jesus says, hey, what's the ultimate standard that we ought to have? Not if we can be four inches higher. By taking somebody else down, but looking up and seeing where God is. And with that measure that we measure, we ought to know that God would judge us. So a question for us today, right out of the gate. Uh, what does it mean for us? Are, are we in that mindset where we say, I'm not going to judge anything, right? You know, I'm, I'm, I've taken this, I've read this verse, so I'm not supposed to judge anything. I, I can't be what it means. But on the flip side, we tend to be those who, who really aggressively judge other people, looking for things to be wrong because honestly, we're not resting in who Christ is. We're not resting in our righteousness in Christ. So we've got to find some righteousness somewhere else. Where to find it? Take other people down in my mind, in my heart, in my words. Second thing Jesus says, and it goes to the same point, really. Looking at verses 3 and 4, he says, judge ourselves first. Why do you see the speck in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log in your own eye? Uh, famous, you know, we've all seen this thing or looked at this probably in Sunday school at one time as a as a child or heard this story. But, you know, again, th- think about it. It's, it's really almost comical. We've heard the story, the, the parable here, this idea of the log in our eye too, too many times that we forget how. I mean, how funny is it to think about someone trying to, re, you know, let me get that little tiny thing and you're in an. This huge beam is in front of their face. It's just it's impossible to do. And and that's the picture Jesus would give us here. Uh, We do struggle with this, don't we? I I like what uh, Jonathan Edwards says, and I think it's in your worship guide. I'm sure I've quoted this before, but this was one of his uh, 170 or so different resolutions. I don't necessarily advocate that we all have those resolutions. He was one of those Puritan guys, but I admire the fact that he was trying to ask God to change his heart. And he resolved, had these things that he was committing to do. To try to get there, to grow in his relationship with God. And one of the things he said was this. He said, I'm resolved to act in all respects, both speaking 
and doing as if nobody had been so vile as I. And as if I had committed the same sins or had the same infirmities or failings as others. And that I will let the knowledge of their failings. So the fact is, there's other people around us doing things that that aren't good. And there may be different sins than what we fall into. And we look and we say, man, I can't believe so-and-so is wrestling with that or falling into that trap or struggling with that. He's He's saying he sees that. He doesn't ignore it. He knows that other people are dealing with it. But that he'll let the knowledge of their failings promote nothing but shame in myself and prove only an occasion for confessing my own sins and misery to God. That's a tall order, isn't it? That would be the work of the gospel, though, I think, poured out in our hearts if we could begin to find ourselves to that place, right? That's applying these doctrines of grace we talk about, of of our total lostness, our total depravity, and the fact that God freely chooses to save us. That's, That's applying it to how we relate to others. I like the story of the uh, pastor who was walking along and he, he, he wandered down the street and saw some boys gathered uh, together around a, uh, a dead dog. And the pastor walked up and he overheard the, uh, the boys saying, they said, well, you know, whoever can tell the biggest lie gets to take the dead dog home. The pastor was like, this is just a horrible game. I can't believe these boys are doing this. So he felt like he needed to interject and he walked over into the circle of the boys and said, boys, what's going on here? They explained that they were playing the game. And he said, boy, this is a terrible game. When I was a youngster, we never played games like this. Boys kind of stood around for a second. A couple of them hung their heads. One of them finally looked up to the pastor and said, okay, you can take the dead dog. <laughs> you know, the things that we see in other people's lives... And are so easy for us to condemn. Remember, we read it earlier in our service. It was our call to confession. Brandon did a wonderful job leading us through that today. Romans chapter 2. The Apostle Paul is, is trying to go through. And he, and he tells in Romans 1, he says, if you're, if you're running headlong into all these obvious and outward sins, you're, you're really lost and you really need Jesus. And then, you know, he, he tells them in other places that if you're trusting in your religious practice and your religious exercises, you, you, you really need Jesus because that's not going to save you. And then there's tucked right in the middle there. He says, hey, if you're, if you're just someone who thinks that you've got it together, and, and you judge other people in your mind and heart, even though you may be outwardly a pretty good person, a pretty upstanding person. He says, in fact, compared to God, you fall greatly short and you need Jesus, too. You need Jesus just as badly as those others. So that's what Jesus is saying. And lastly, uh, number three, he encourages us, nevertheless, to correct humbly. Or we might say to judge humbly. It's a little confusing because obviously in the first verse he's saying judge not. But really he's coming back around and saying you've got to do what? What is the purpose of removing the log in your own eye? What's the end game that he says in verse 5? Then you'll see clearly to be able to help your brother. So Jesus is saying, hey, we ought to try to have iron sharpening iron. There's a good thing that happens in the church. It's not bad that we recognize some other things that people are struggling with. First, we ought to really dig deep into the things that we're wrestling with. But then 
if you see a person who's you know prone to gossip or uh, prone to greed or prone to lust or speaking harshly against this person or a little divisive in their attitude or whatever, there is a place for us to lovingly where we have a relationship, where we have a platform to, to speak to that and to speak to it out of a heart that's been humbled by seeing our own need, our own lostness. I think what Jesus is really telling us to do here is to apply the things that we've already heard in the Sermon on the Mount. He's already told us earlier on that, hey, if you're angry without justification, it's like murder. And so what he's saying is, is, you know, don't hesitate to say that murder's wrong, to look at the things in our culture that are murderous or murderous attitudes. But first, look at your own heart. Don't hesitate to speak about uh, sins and sexual sins in our culture that are going on. But look first at your lustful heart and and recognize that that you've got that going on and maybe have other things going on as well. Uh, Look at the the deceit and lying that's sometimes uh, used to particularly for greed or personal gain or benefit. But first, ask yourself, where's that happen in my life? Where am I less than completely honest? All those things we've already looked at. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus urges us to wrestle with them. It's interesting uh, trying to figure out ways to do this that are loving, that are gracious, and that still communicate, right? Not easy. It's, 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 it's not easy to break away from our judgmentalism. Again, it's, it's not easy for some of us to speak when we do need to speak, too, right? Probably some of us are going to lean on different sides. thought it was uh, interesting, the story of the pastor and this will be our our conclusion the story of the pastor who uh, had a member of the church that had been active but then it kind of you know drifted off and hadn't been as uh, active lately and in fact had been gone from the church and its activities for a couple of months and the pastor realized you know out of love i probably need to go go address this so he went by the person's house the man lived uh, by himself up sort of on a hill in a little house it was winter time it was cold the pastor came in the gentleman uh, opened the door, didn't really uh, say anything, but kind of ushered the pastor over in front of the fireplace. And they had a nice, uh, warm, glowing uh, fire going that day. And uh, the two of them sat down, didn't say anything, still completely silent. And after a minute or two, the pastor picked up those uh, tongs to tend to the fire, you know. And he reached over and uh, it was a beautiful glowing fire and grabbed one of those uh, beautiful glowing uh, coals and, and took it and just pulled it over out away from the, the flame. And it sat there for a minute or two, still no words exchanged between the two gentlemen. And and that little flame, as you can imagine, started to die out on that coal. And then it died out a little bit more and then a little smoke came off and then it was just, you know, dark over there. Well, they sat for a few more minutes. Pastor kind of looked at his watch and started to get up and, and walk out. As he was going, he grabbed that little coal, took it and moved it on back in towards the fire and Sure enough, right away, it lit back into flame and was part of that beautiful glowing fire. As the pastor walked out the door, the man finally spoke to him, the only words that they spoke the whole time. And he said, thank you, pastor, for your visit, especially for the fiery sermon. I'll be back in church next Sunday. Let's pray. Father, we really uh, pray for those areas of our lives that are probably many, I know they are for me, where we're pretty self-righteous and we kind of think we have things together and figured out or 
or we've got things figured out in a couple areas of our life uh, where we seem to be walking in step with you and, and, and others, maybe not in those areas, uh, uh, have it have it, uh, it pulled together as well. And, and, and we ignore all the other areas of our life uh, where we're really struggling, where we're not walking in step with you and, and uh, can be so judgmental, Lord. And we pray today that you'd bring us to conviction about that. Father, we also pray that you'd bring us to conviction about those places where we have um, not uh, spoken and not sought to love others around us. We ask that you'd show us gracious ways like we just heard to uh, speak to others where we need to speak in a loving and a humble way. And that you would build up your body uh, through that process and through the gospel. We pray this in Jesus name. Amen.